Boom. Do we say this week on Planet Internet with the Hacker Noon editors? Yeah, let's dive in. No vocal exercises? This week on Planet Internet with the Hacker Noon editors, we have Lamarck, Natasha, and Amy, and we're going to discuss the internet and the planet. I was browsing (laughs) the internet today. That's a transition. And I stumbled upon this story from The Verge, why Microsoft wants Discord. And essentially, there's been rumors circulating for a while that Microsoft is interested in buying Discord for upwards of $10 billion. And this article details how it would fit into all of Microsoft's existing suites and analyzes the past of their acquisitions in terms of how successful they've been and not been. Skype being on the failure side and GitHub, LinkedIn, and the gaming space being on the more successful side with Minecraft. And this really hits all of them because Discord is a chat and community app with you know closed community. So you're dealing with really social networks as a whole beyond the public stuff. So it's communications for gamers, it's work-related conversations. It would be a massive move for Azure and Microsoft hosting. Now looking at as the hosting battle is something they're trying to win and how well it would integrate with Xbox and different discussions. And on the Discord side of things, I would prefer they stay independent forever. And it's good news for them either way if Microsoft's going to go in the news and price their company at a really high number. So I guess my question to you guys is like, are you buying that Microsoft is buying Discord or do you think Discord just wants all these stories to just keep existing to grow the value of their company? Discord has 140 million users. That's pretty decent. Discord has raised a total of 483 million. I also love that the second question on Google is, can a 12-year-old use Discord? And the answer is no, you've got to be at least 13. That doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely have Discorded with 12-year-olds. Whoa. So this ties into the whole Salesforce acquire Slack thing. And I'm sure like Microsoft is trying to position themselves similarly. Discord is interesting though, because like you said, it's strongly used by gamers and it's like uh, Twitch streamers rely on it. And in that sense, Twitch kind of relies on it. I feel like Twitch acquiring Discord would make much more sense. But what I'm confused about is Microsoft already has their version of this, which is Microsoft Teams. So I'm wondering if they're acquiring it just to improve that portion of it. But all in all, if they do decide to acquire them, I think that would be really smart on their part, especially, like you said, Xbox is, and Minecraft is like going well for Microsoft. But if you look at the entire gaming industry, Microsoft's Xbox is like severely underperforming, especially compared to PlayStation. So many people in like the space think they need to do something big to change their impact on the gaming industry. The Games Pass is one thing, and maybe Discord would be another. It would definitely be big upsell for Teams. If you look at Microsoft as 100 million and then Discord as 140, that overlap isn't that massive. If you want to go professional to Teams, it seems like a pretty good fit. And and if Discord, in terms of competitive balance, Discord could easily go heavier on professional. And Discord Pro is a lot more like Slack and Teams. And now if you cut out their ability to make that move because that upsells directly to Teams, that's definitely going to make Microsoft more money. What does Discord have that Teams doesn't? Nothing. Teams is really bad. Have you ever tried it? Yes. Compared to Slack and even compared to Discord, I just feel like the user experience is really bad. They've updated in like mid-2020 though. It's It's a bit better now. And they have, as opposed to Slack too, they have 
video chat, which is different, but Discord also has that, I believe. And Discord has the ability for you to break out into multiple sessions or like different kind of rooms where Teams also has that ability too. And I feel like with Microsoft Teams, like their big focus is that they're pushing this whole like work from home thing or like hybrid working so that you can meet with people who are in the office and also remote working. So they have different functions for like video chatting to make it seem like everyone's in the same room and all this kind of stuff. So I just don't know what Discord has that teams doesn't have at this point Mm. so i can definitely see it being like a acquisition just for the sake of an acquisition to like because it's a popular platform and it would help them with their bottom line but i don't think that the technology is going to integrate itself with teams yeah so if you're the decision maker of discord you've raised 400 million you're getting offered 10 billion for this thing they're cashing out in the billions Like that would be this trade-off they're making, understanding like this probably isn't the best for my community, but you're talking about a real trade-off. What would you you say? Would you guys do it? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Not even thinking about it, I would do it, but I'm not sure we're the right people for that. Like, uh... Did you say billion? (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) All right. Speaking of money, that's a transition. You see that? I went to a new tab here. Seamless. All right, here is the news of the day. The market craft of cryptocurrencies has exceeded that of the world's most valuable company, Apple. So now all cryptocurrencies have a market cap of 2.243 trillion and Apple is at only 2.203 trillion. So we've done it in this sense of the, now it's true that cryptocurrencies are bigger than any one single company. So that's obviously the news grabber there. And then of that, you're looking at Bitcoin at 1.2 trillion market cap, still being a good bit below Microsoft, who we were talking about earlier, and some of the other top tech companies. But it is a bit of a milestone here of just, are these things bigger than Apple? Like cryptocurrency, is it bigger than Apple in market cap? Today it is, yesterday it wasn't. So that's a pretty big deal. And Apple is how I'm on an Apple computer right now. I read and trade cryptocurrencies with my Apple phone. So they are very connected. But if there is going to be a long-term disruptor of these top couple tech companies, it does seem like the cryptocurrencies have the potential And you're seeing tech leaders from Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey put significant portions of their business and their personal wealth betting on cryptocurrency. I don't really know if there's a question for all this, but a nice little milestone of the day. You guys could also share a personal milestone if you want. My question is, raise your hand if in the last week or two, somebody has asked you about investing in cryptocurrency for the first time because of all this hype. I'm getting a lot of that. And what do you say? No. I I like to say it's too late. I like to use phrases like the bubble has burst and just see the looks on their faces. I think half half the Hacker Noon writers just deleted their accounts. (laughs) (laughs) I do not uh, think the bubble has burst. I I think the digital currency is just going to keep going every day till when I die. It's going to be bigger than it was the day before. Not quite that exaggerated, but it's just... uh, it's so much easier to move money. Like it's, uh, isn't it to be so nice to live in a world without credit card fees? That's like yeah. the golden goose that keeps me publishing all these stories. I think the bubble definitely hasn't burst yet because we're still in the infancy of blockchain and a lot of this technology. What kind of 
confuses me with articles like this. I don't know if anybody else has the same opinion as that. I don't think it's fair to compare Apple or any one company to cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency is tons of companies. And when you like invest in cryptocurrency, you're also investing in the idea that blockchain is going to be huge and that cryptocurrency is going to overtake fiat currency. And I feel like that idea is like much huger than investing in is Apple going to make better Macs next year? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it is misleading how they use market cap because it's like once I hold Bitcoin, I'm part of the market cap. But once I hold my iPhone, I'm not part of the market cap yeah. of Apple. Just the revenue that went in is part of the valuation of the company. But me holding the iPhone every day and using it, it changes the brand equity, but it doesn't actually change the market cap like holding Bitcoin does. So yeah. it, it is also like, it's a misleading comparison on a few fronts. Yeah, you just don't want, you're comparing an industry versus one, one company, but it's still a milestone that at least the industry as a whole could be bigger than one, the largest company in the world, yeah. which is like, that is cool. Because Apple is many companies within its own companies. Can you go deeper in how many companies Apple owns? It's it's an ecosystem. I bought Dogecoin no, um, last month. I put no money into cryptocurrency before, but you think well, you it's definitely start with Dogecoin. Me. Say that again, Amy. You, so you put no money in cryptocurrency I've put before? No but... money in cryptocurrency. Is it too late for me to start? You're saying no. No, definitely not. I'm intimidated. Yeah, you don't want to do much money. You don't want to risk your future. Yeah. Look at Lamarck. Yeah, he bought yeah. Dogecoin. Where did, what price did you buy Dogecoin? What is it right now? Should I, or should I open up my, my Here stocks? It is. <laughs> 13 cents. Okay, American. I bought it a month ago. What was it a month ago? One month ago. Whoa. So you have the double, basically. Hi. Nice. Look at that. All right. Now, let's move on to another acquisition on a Hacker Noon story. Here we have, it's titled, Think You Know Why Google Acquired Fitbit? Think Again. Done. And this is by Harris Shaid. Okay, I actually haven't read this article, but I want to guess that it's got to do with GPS. Data. Yep, here's the thesis. Google's buying Fitbit for data, not hardware. This is a $2 billion acquisition and you can read through it. A lot of concerned customers, even in the opening announcement, they announced that Fitbit will be using, let's see what, let's see what their statement was here. Well, mixed results about if they're using the data for advertising. Customers seem to not believe they wouldn't and 2 billion is a lot to pay for a company. And I don't think their margins were great and their competition was increasing in the wearable space. They're selling above their share price while they still can would be more of my opinion on it. And it's, it's one, the, all these big sales, you're like, you feel good for the founders and the team, but it's also, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And then there's uh, information about how to delete your Fitbit from health, which who knows if that's been taken over already, but how are you guys feeling about Fitbit by Google? So I actually was looking to buy a Fitbit just before this article was published on Hacker Noon and noticed that they had gone on special in the Netherlands. Everywhere there was suddenly a, a um, discount on buying a Fitbit. So it clearly had an impact on the perceived value. And I didn't buy a Fitbit, but not because of Dyson, more because of feeling that I should probably rather get an Apple Watch. 
So it wasn't really about the data at all for me. I've owned an Apple Watch and a Fitbit before. Now I have a Fitbit. I'm not very concerned about Google tracking my data. Also because I share my Google, my location with Google at all times. Partially, actually, no, solely because I listened to this other podcast about true crime where the woman was found because she had her Google location sharing on. So I always do that now in case I ever disappear, then someone can find me and catch my killers. <laughs> but, we'll find the um, baby, don't worry. Excellent, thank you. Can somebody send Liam Neeson after me, please? But I am not concerned about the data, really. I think, but I do think that a lot of people do have Fitbits, and a Fitbit is something that you wear at all times, pretty much. Whereas, like a phone, potentially you leave it at home, potentially you leave it on your desk or whatever, and you walk around. But a Fitbit is with you at all times. So location data, I think, will quote-unquote improve depending on what your stance is on that but I think they're they will get a lot more location data from consumers and I think I buy it for sure like one of the biggest news for me last year was why Facebook made the second Oculus Quest $100 cheaper than the first one and it all came down to if, if you're paying less for something or if you're not paying for something you're the product and I definitely think it's true like I think They'll definitely, if they, when they acquire Fitbit, I'm sure it is for the data. But I think the idea of who cares if they're tracking your data, no one person believes it's a big deal that they're tracking my personal data. The idea is more like, are we as an society going to just now accept that big corporations are owning the world's data? And I think that's what the movement is against. Obviously, I don't care if Google knows that I like video game advertisements, but I think it's more the idea that we're just giving up in a sense. What is it being used for? To sway elections, sell me things I've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, we should probably care a lot more than we do. I think I look at it from the perspective of, yeah, I don't care if Google is going to serve me an ad for something that I've been looking at. And a lot of times that's helpful. But in terms of the bigger humanitarian issues of internet and data privacy, you're totally right, Natasha. Are they swaying elections with this information or are they using it to oppress a certain group of people or whatever the issue might be? I think that's a larger concern as a whole that I like to push under the rug. (laughs) Yeah, same. It's easier to not think about human rights organizations become more involved with the control of data and the rights of data and like looking at like the climate accord. There's like big, you know, international agreements for climate and production, but limited big international effective agreements for data and data rights and data control. And if you want to deal with getting your data back from Fitbit and not to Google, you're dealing directly with the corporation. And, or if things hit the fan, you're dealing with your government. And so I think if there's something that I I would expect there to be more international data advocation and international rights around data control, that hopefully would be better, but it's going to be so much work too, for these companies of like just data control. (laughs) Like it's so much easier when they can just set the terms and then do it and they let everything work that way. But that's why we have GDPR and what's the California one, CCPA, so that we can protect consumers against where data is being stored. But GDPR was like a huge one because 
any kind of data that relates to any person in the EU, regardless of where the data is being stored, has to be protected. That's a huge one for that Google and a lot of other big companies had to pivot around what was that in 2017 or whatever. And now people are thinking more along the lines of data security, I think. So it should be interesting. Hopefully that continues along and GDPR expands to data collected from wearable technology. I know that they just released something that was for voice searches, which I thought was interesting. So they're expanding their regulation. Oh, in what way for voice searches? There, there was a Hacker Noon article that I edited of GDPR voice search. So they are expanding it to include searches that come from your Google Home or something like that. So they're saying that with Google Home or whatever kind of system you have in your house, it will, it, it can continue to record when you're not using it, or you could be saying sensitive information out loud that it picks up. So GDPR has now expanded its regulation to include things that encapsulate voice searches. The last article I wanted to talk about today, it's a follow-up from a 2017 article. It's called Mastering Shitcoins, Part 2, The Poor Man's Guide to Getting Rich. And this is Dan, by Daniel Jeffries on Hacker Noon and all over the internet. As it, as it runs through the article, it's like 2017 was wild. People thought Bitcoin hitting 20,000 was crazy. And the real, the crazier part was really the ICOs and just, hey, you're using gains on Ethereum to invest in a hundred other Ethereum projects and every other early Ethereum person invests too. So it, it kind of got a little bit of house of cardsy with the ICOs. But as you read through this article and you look at his portfolio, it's like it did pretty good. And he talks about what traders were thinking at the time. And I like that he does this and not enough pieces do as they look retroactively. He, he does his lead and then he comes into the big losers. Who did I think was going to be big in 2017? Now, three years later, it hasn't really proved. If you're in crypto, you'll see some old, old familiar names that maybe you haven't seen in a minute of different dead or dying or life support projects. And then it's looking at the winners and looking at some other ones that looking in the three-year cycle of Tezos, Ethereum, EOS, Bitcoin all do very well. And then as two big pieces of advice here, weigh your portfolio more heavily in bigger coins and keep smaller bets in the smaller coins. And I think this is a sign to a more mature market of Bitcoin is a more known asset than it was three years ago and Ethereum. So if you look at betting on crypto, his advice is bet bigger on the heavy ones and then take flyers. And then his, when you're taking flyers, his big piece of advice is buy after the crash. Wait for them to look at a project you believe in, wait for it to decline and then buy it and then try and get in there is his um, advice. So Pretty cool article. And uh, in general, I just think the phrase shit coins is like pretty funny. Or there's some government coins that I would probably put close to shit coins too. But really, it's just uh, it has grown in the crypto space. And so what do you all think of shit coins today? Out of curiosity, which is which shit coin that he invested in did the best? Or, or like which ones did the best that were like shit coins in 2017, but became pretty big now? So he definitely had Tezos on there. Here we go. BTC, ZXT, Mob, DCR, EOS, Tread. The one, the other point he brings up with Ethereum here that is definitely worth talking about is the NFT use case. Uh, quoting him here, arguably the first real use case for crypto outside of just using it as a medium of transaction and speculation. It's actually using the technology to itemize and reprint an issue and mint. So trying to really using the technology to document scarcity and being provable that this is scarce and using that for something other than transaction speculation, which 
It's also a pretty depressing statement that we've come this far and transaction and speculation are still, transactions should be the primary use case. That's where it's like, can it replace cash at credit cards and everything else? and store of value and all that. Yeah, Ethereum, I have mixed feelings on because the DAP ecosystem, I feel like it got so much media and press so early and no one was using the DAPs. And it was like, oh, this is a decentralized application with a thousand users. It's, you mean a website? Like a thousand people use it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I feel like his advice for investing in shit coins is similar advice to any other stocks though. Like when I first started um, investing and don't take any investment advice from me, obviously, but... I was doing the method of, okay, I'm going to try to find the next Netflix and invest in these things. But then you don't really get any gratification like immediately. And if you're doing that, you're investing in like the long run. And what he said, place your big bets on the big ones. That's exactly what I did. And that's exactly what works. Like once you start investing, you'll find that obviously you invest in Facebook, you invest in Twitter, you invest in Uber, and you'll find that those will grow in the short run. And all of those small bets you made, None of them are growing, but you have to realize that they are small bets and you, you can't expect them to grow immediately. So it probably depends on like how patient you are and like your philosophy as an investor yourself. I did have one other one to point out of this line just really got to me. Like Binance is an exchange, but they issued a token, a currency. And here's a sentence from it. Investment of 2,500 would have turned into $2.5 million in 2020. It's if you run the exchange what? and you issue your own currency on the exchange, isn't it a lot easier to be successful? <laughs> so I guess the other one that I get thinking about, why did Binance do well? Why did Cardano do well? Like, why is Flow doing well? Looking at the partnerships of these companies and the, the strategic position of Binance, if they want to issue a token, how valuable that could be, how many built-in competitive demand advantages and buyers they have versus another one. Yeah, that also just stands out a little bit in the story. Recap, <laughs> read Hacker Noon, Planet Internet, uh -huh. uh, Hacker Noon podcast. Shit coins. Shit those, coins. Those are the three things we needed to hit. <laughs> okay. All right, everybody. Good job. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, Natasha, you weren't recording this. Just <laughs> 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 you must have had a heart attack. <laughs>